Welcome to Corona Stories, the place where people can be open and honest about their feelings and experiences of COVID, lockdown and related matters. I'm Christine Padgham and I co-host this not-for-profit podcast with my friend Sylvia. If you would like to share your story with us or just have a chat, please get in touch. You can email us at coronastories at protonmail.com and we also have a telegram channel called Corona Stories. Please join us there friends and thank you for listening. I've realised that not all is quite as it seems. I trusted my government They asked me to do the right thing, like so many of us, not just me, I'm not alone, this is not about me, this is about a lot of us, to do the right thing, to try and save lives, to try and protect the NHS, because this was so, you know, such a bad virus, you know, and personally I'd seen older people round about my mum, particularly, you know, the lady downstairs who was perfectly fine, same age as my mum, had a fall in the house, broke her leg, went into hospital, never came out. You know, these kind of things put the fear in it. My mum was old and elderly, so you want to do what's right, protect people, save lives. Of course you do. You know, so a lot of us did it. And unfortunately, you know, and on the 20th of March when I got my vaccination, there was absolutely no reports, no official comments, nothing saying there was a problem with any of these or could be issues. In fact, it was the opposite. The BBC and the government that very week came out with statements saying it was 100% safe. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you're looking at not just BBC, you're looking at Sky, all your media and all your mainstream media is telling you it's safe. So you kind of go, right, okay. And you go, you grow up believing that, you know, your government will look after you because you're doing what's right. I should go wrong. And you don't even think to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. In this episode, Sylvia and I speak to Alex, who has suffered horrific vaccine injury from the AstraZeneca vaccines. This episode has been very tricky to edit and there are a few sound issues on it, but we've done our best with it. It's taken us a while to publish, so apologies to Alex, but hopefully better late than never. Thank you for listening, friends. Um, so today is the 7th of April 2022 and Sylvia and I have Alex Mitchell on the podcast. Hello Alex. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Hello everyone. <laughs> Hello and good afternoon Alex. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Yeah. Well thank you. Um. You are a scaffolder, Alex, in from Glasgow. Is that correct? Yes, uh, yes, I'm a fifty-seven-year-old scaffolder from Glasgow. I've lived in Glasgow all my life. Um, I don't think I'm moving anywhere anytime soon either. <laughs> <laughs> I may visit quite a few city, places so in I the world. Think, 
It's my home city, Alex, so I think you're in a good place. <laughs> um, yeah, Glasgow has a, the wrong reputation sometimes. I think it's a very warm, lovely, beautiful, beautiful place, you know. Yeah. As, is, as is anywhere in the world, if you look at the right way. That's true. And so you've come to our attention because you've had rather a horrific vaccine injury from your yes. vaccine in March yes. 2021. But we thought today it would be a good idea just to hear your story from March 2020 up to the current moment. So that's two years on. Yes. Um, so March Oh, sorry, March twentieth, March the twentieth, nineteen uh, two thousand twenty-one. Sorry, we're getting a year out. Um, that was my letter to go and receive my my vaccination for the the, the vaccine for the the, the the coronavirus. Like everyone else, wanted to do what was right. Turned up on the day. Um, wasn't asked any questions. Basically, other than my name, my address sat down, the girl gave me, told me what she was going to do, gave me the vaccine. All she told me at the time was, you may experience a sore site area where your vaccine has been injected and you may receive, may feel cold flu-like symptoms for a couple of days. That was it. Went home, everything was fine. First of April, um, I'm at work as a scaffolder. Mm -hmm. It's a Thursday, it's about three, half past three, and I go, we lift heavy stuff all the time, and I lifted something particularly heavy, did what we were going to do, stepped back, and actually thought I'd pulled both my calf muscles, because it just went into a cramp. Right. Went home, had a bath, didn't do much good, up on a Friday, half day on a Friday, so I went into work by half ten. I couldn't walk ten feet without the most horrendous cramp in my calf muscles. And by this time, my back was starting to be hurting. Right. I'm putting it down to the way I was walking because I was trying to not hurt my calf muscles. Come home Saturday the 3rd of April, which was my daughter's birthday. Uh, I felt horrific, uh, bad. Phoned my daughter and said, Look, can I come up and see you tomorrow? She said, of course, Dad. Slept it off or tried to. Up on a Sunday, felt tired as if I'd kind of been in a marathon of some sort, but better than I had been. I was upstairs, ironing some clothes, finished the iron, put it away, turned round and collapsed. And I knew, don't know why, something told me I was in trouble. Something in tide told me I was in trouble. Mm -hmm. My wife was downstairs, unfortunately, in the kitchen. The door closed. She couldn't hear me. So to pull myself down the stairs backwards head first, she oh heard the noise come running out. And something again, just as calmness told me, stay calm. And I said to my wife, two things. One, phone an ambulance. And two, get me a belt. I could feel something in my bottom left calf. Still didn't connect any dots. Ambulance was phoned. Um, I passed out, I came round to a paramedic telling me, I'm giving you some morphine. Um, the pain was, oh, horrific. Uh, yes, um, I asked my wife to go and get a belt um, and she, she phoned the ambulance and gave me the belt and I put it on the top of my leg, top of my left leg. I don't know why, 
watching too many old films, I don't, whatever, but you do what you think's right. Um, it didn't work clearly because it didn't help. Uh, it wouldn't have helped anyway with hindsight, we now know, but it was the most horrific pain at that point I had ever experienced in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I say, I was passing in and out of consciousness more with the pain um, than anything else. And my body at that point went into heat overload. Okay. The, the, the sweat that was coming out of me. And my wife says my eyes were rolling in my head. Um, must have been her, what was a horrifically traumatic experience for my wife because I don't remember that, but she's obviously witnessing it. And I don't even begin to imagine how that must have felt for her at that particular time. Um, so the light <clears throat> into the ambulance rushed me off to Herr Meyer's hospital in East Kilbride. Um, I've come round and as I say, there's a lady beside me and she said, we need to go to a CT scan and I need your permission. I, I give you my permission, scribbled an X or something on, on whatever. And I went into a CT scan. I remember nothing of this CT scan. Mm-hmm. I do remember it's still spinning and she's standing right beside me. <laughs> said It's the same lady. We need to go to theatre and we need to go now. And I said to her, I'm in trouble. And she said, yes, big trouble. I said, how serious? And she said, the worst kind of serious. And I said, my, my instant, you know, you don't really get the time to process these thoughts at that time. And, and this is after the first vaccine, Alex. Not yes, only, yes, only the first vaccine. The, the first vaccine was the, it was the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, Oxford AstraZeneca, as it was known as then. Mm-hmm. Um, I I came round uh, from, as I say, that she, she's she's explaining to me it's the worst kind of trouble, um, and I said, well, all I can do is ask you to do your best. Um, and and I went. <clears throat> I came round unknown to me, and so now about eight hours later. I've only just come out of uh, the operating theatre, literally half an hour to 45 minutes. This lady had been taking clots out of my system for seven and a half hours on her own. Yeah, um, she explained to me later on when I've come round, the same lady standing there again, you know, and you know, it's little things that you remember. I can still remember, all I could see was her eyes because they're obviously gowned and it was a height of COVID. Very few people were allowed in and out of places. Um, so, and because of, I think, the situation, they, they didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and she's explaining to me that I've got, you know, she'd remove clots from my legs, my leg. And I, I'm kind of confused, and I'm saying, you know, how many clots are we talking about? Because I could feel this thing in my left leg, and I'm thinking it's all my, all my left leg. And she said, oh, multiple clots. And I'm, what? I, no, I'm, I'm really confused. Multiple clots, you said you had. She just looked at I'm so sorry. And I'm really confused, and I said, hold on, I'm, I'm really struggling here. What? I, I don't understand this. And she said, Mr. Mitchell. We have never seen anything like this. You and I are having a conversation. 
that we shouldn't be having. You shouldn't be here. We don't know how you're still here. But you are, and we are so glad that you are. Um, and at that point, I think I've realised just how serious things were. Um, she said, she's given me, she said, I'll give you five minutes to, to let some of this sink in. And and were any of your family allowed in to see you at this point, Alex? No. Um, the only time they were allowed in was a week later when they took me in to be amputated. Um, I basically said, well, I'm not going in without seeing Shudio. Because I'd already, I'd, I had to make, when they, they took me in, um, to the theatre to make a phone, I made a phone call um, to my wife and to my two daughters. Um, as you do, you never want to do these things, but anyway, so that was a very hard thing to do, to do in a phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I say, um, I've came round and I'm I'm really confused in this lady saying, look, Mr. Mitchell, you're a very, very fit, healthy man. And I know because I've got no underlying health conditions. So I'm, I'm, tr- and I'm, I'm kind of thinking this lady's trying to tell me something, but it turns out it wasn't. She was just explaining the reality of what it was that they didn't know at that point what it was. Um, but very quickly, within about five hours of that, mm-hmm. it was mentioned that the they were looking at it being vaccine-related because that seemed to be the only thing that was unusual in the previous couple of weeks, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked, was there no opportunity for it to be a below-the-knee operation? The vascular surgeon asked me, was there a particular reason why? And I said, well, just, I mean, I said, a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I'm a scaffolder. While I may not be able to go fully back to what I do and what I love, I might be able to go back in some capacity. You're thinking, you know, you're not thinking the reality. You're just thinking this is going to be easy. This is going to do that. And you go back. You know, two weeks time, you're going to be normal. That's what's in your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lady brought in another vascular surgeon who was going to be doing the amputation. And I call him my doctor, doc from... Back to the Future. He, okay. He's a kind of crazy scientist-looking doctor. I think he's, yeah, I think he's French, Swiss. He's the loveliest man in the world. He really is. He's so caring. He's, 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 a, he's an absolute hero of mine. Um, more than just because he saved my, my life, you know, and not because he amputated my leg for other reasons I'll explain. Um... And this man said to me, so, you know, you, I, you're looking for a week, why? And I said, well, I'm an old mod. Scooters are my passion. Mm. I want to know if a prosthetic leg is going to be able to hold the weight of a scooter. And I could see this man looking at me with a look of absolute confusion and a strange look of, why is this the most important thing to you? And he didn't quite understand it. So to get my phone, bring up the whole sort of a mod culture and explain why I was a mod. I've been a mod since I was 17. It was a long, earlier than that, but 
really a full-time mod since I was about 17, that it wasn't just about the scooters, the music, the clothes. Yeah, that was a big part of it. You know, there's a peacock element you love to be seen. Yeah, that is a part of it. But it's a way of life. Yeah. It's about trying to be the best possible version of you at every time. And I do, and I, I, that's beliefs, that's the standards I set when I was 17. Mm-hmm. And I'm 57, they're still the same standards. I fail every day, but I try every day to be better in some way. And I fail miserably, but at least I got up every day and I do have a try. Mm-hmm. And he kind of got my passion and, and he understood it. And he said, I'll give you a week. And he closed the door and explained to me what I was going to see, what I was going to experience, and the, some of what I was going to face. And he didn't lie with hindsight. I'm not going to paint it up. It wasn't the most prettiest week I've ever had. I now realise he wasn't giving me a week because I asked for it. He was giving me a week because I wasn't strong enough to have my leg amputated at that point. Okay. That was the reality. Okay. So, seven days later, um, come the, it was actually scheduled for the Friday. I collapsed on the Sunday. So the following Friday, I was scheduled to, to get my amputation. I uh, had a slight infection for something, and that got put off to Saturday. On Saturday, my pain levels were now being counted from 0 to 20, as opposed to 0 to 10. Okay. And at one point, at one point I experienced, I would say, 19. <clears throat> I think that's the closest I've ever come to losing my sanity. Um, I did think I was going to lose my mind. The, the morphine wasn't working, and they brought in the, the anaesthetist, who had this procedure that was just new. He said, I'm going to try it if you want to do it. it it's very successful. And I said, yeah, because obviously at that point, you want anything to take the pain away. And the procedure is called the nerve inhibitor. And what he explained was that he puts the needle in, gets the nerve, puts a kind of liquid through that's in the needle and it kind of inhibits the whole nerve and it's attached to a flask with fluid that keeps it constant. And it made sense. And he said, none of my students have seen it. Would you mind if I showed it to them? Okay. And I said, yeah. I said, yes. As you would do. Yeah. Unknown to me, then, explain, then at that point, the door got opened. I was in a private room. The curtains were drawn over. My bed was pushed against the wall. All this machinery got piled into the room and about 15, 16 people filed in and behind the bed. And they then explained where he put the needle. He puts it in through your buttock. Okay. So there was me on my side with my whole rear end hanging out for the world to see the whole lot, 15 people behind me watching my ass. And on the screen, there's a ultrasound screen. And you can see the needle and he says, can you see that line? He points to a little cross and that little cluster. And he touched it with the needle. And it was like the old electric pulse lighters you used to get the shot from. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Up my whole body. And that, that's what I want. Pulled it back. And then he said, right, how are you now? And my pain level went from 19 down to 10, down to 5, down to 2 in seconds. Mm-hmm. And it was fantastic. Um, and he, thankfully, he took in a, 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 a 
vial of blood to go to be tested for later on, just to make sure everything was all right. And half an hour later, they come back, and there was a problem with the blood. There was an anomaly in my blood. So they had to scrap the eight pints of blood that they had. And I didn't know you could manufacture blood. It took them seven hours to manufacture eight pints of blood. Wow. Yeah, I didn't could do that either. I know, yeah. On hematology, people are incredible, incredible clever people. They do wonderful things. Um, no. um, so they got that sorted, and I went in, I'm saying, half seven on the Sunday evening. And at that point, I, did, I says to them, I'm not going in there without seeing my wife and my two daughters. Against every protocol going on the planet at the time. But we did a sneak operation and we managed to work something out. I got to speak to my wife and two daughters. Went into the operating theatre. I was explained to me before I went in that if it was an above the knee, it would be uh, uh, an hour and a half. If it was a below the knee, it would be two and a half hours because there's more veins and things down there. And I've come round from surgery and it's an above the knee. I'm not going to lie, that was my darkest moment. I was devastated, I was crushed. Um, but something came to my mind that I've looked at my watch and there's, there's hours missing. I've been in surgery for six hours and five and a half, six hours or thereabouts. And the vascular surgeon that amputated me came in and he was absolutely devastated. He was worse than me. He said, I'm so, so sorry. You told me I wouldn't be in there for any more than three, two and a half to three hours. So there's clearly there's a time difference. Something went wrong. And he explained basically that even the smallest vein that they were looking at was just collapsing under them. And it was just, it was an absolute mess. And eventually the above the knee that I did end up with was a slight risk, but he didn't wanted to go any further. He wanted to try and give me as much opportunity as he, as he could. And thankfully, in this case, it worked. Um, and I said, you have done everything you can to save my leg. I know I've done everything I can to save it. Nothing can change it now. Don't beat yourself up. I'm not. Let's move on. And he kind of looked at me it's quite a, a lot of people do with that look of, I think you need your mental facilities checked. Um, with that strange look of, why would you say that? It's because you've done everything your power. There's nothing that can change it. There's nothing now is going to put it back on. So we've got to try and move forward. And that was the... the I've met him many times previous, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, the most recent one in a car park in a hospital where during his lunch hour he was walking about thinking about his patients and I said what are you doing? He said I've got some prayer time and I've got a couple of difficult cases this afternoon so I'm thinking about how I'm going to help him most. That's the care. The professional was already there and he's just a lovely human being Um, and I've seen him as I say I'm now in first name terms with both vascular surgeons and six of the world-leading hematologist specialists um, because obviously that is such a rare, rare condition 
uh, worldwide. It's a bit le- little known about, um, and hopefully th- th- it was beginning to be known. Um, so as I say, I was amputated at that point. Within 12 hours, I was in a physio room, standing up, being shown how to be transferred to a wheelchair, to a bed, to a toilet. You know, the kind of basic things that instantly you have to learn. And on day one, which was less than eight hours, or 12 hours after being amputated, my whole attitude was, you tell me what I need to do to get me home out of this hospital. And they said, oh, but we've got a process. And I said, yeah, I know you've got a process in the book, but it doesn't work for me. <laughs> this regiment doesn't work for me. I said, no, you're telling me that I could be in the hospital for up to three months to recover and could take me up to 18 months to a year to learn how to walk here. And I don't have that kind of time left. I'm sorry. I was home in eight days. Oh, good for you. Um, some kind of record, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've been a, a very fit and active man. And, you know, to go from that so suddenly to to losing your leg, I mean, it's such a big shock to the system. I'm not surprised you were like, no, I'm not going to be in hospital <laughs> for that length yeah, of time. But I think that that's been my kind of my whole life attitude and drive is that I'm very positive. I always have been. I try and see the good in life as I put. Listen, life's bad. We all, we've all got our hardships in life. We've all faced our ordeals. We've all faced our struggles, whether it be money or whatever. We all have our crap in life. And if we look at it, it can be quite a dark place. So we need as much humour in it as we can. And I'm sorry, I'd rather sit in the sunshine than sit in the dark just always been my nature and I always will be um, yeah I, it, it's easy to go into a corner and feel sorry for yourself and you have every right to do so and I do not judge anyone who chooses that option and I believe from the bottom of my heart because that is the easier option the harder option is to push yourself to try and change to keep going um, there's nothing wrong with feeling sorry for yourself. There's nothing wrong with having grief, feeling anger. Nothing wrong with having any of these emotions. What's wrong is if you spend all your time in them. Well, I get... mean, these emotions are not going to do anybody any good in the long run. Uh, yeah, you know, people say, why are you not angry? I say, oh, yeah, I'm angry beyond belief. You've got no idea. But it's not at you. So why should I take my anger out on you when you're only being... A decent human being, you've not done anything to me, you've not harmed me, you've not tried to harm me. You know, my anger's reserved for the right people. And who do you think are the right people? Who do I think are the right people? Yeah, who are you angry Um, with? I think the right people are the people that created something knowing that there was a problem with it. Mm -hmm. I think there's... The people responsible, the people that accepted that and went ahead knowing that it was a problem. I think the people that are responsible for the full, um, what shall we say, the full actual process. Because here's my philosophy. There's no arguments of a vaccine, that virus, and it was deadly. 
that's not up for debate. It was killing people. So if we go with the narrative that was there, there's no argument that we needed something and we needed something quick. That's not for debate. There's no argument that comes with a higher risk that it could go wrong. That's not for debate. Logistically, we can generate this, produce it, bio, uh, whatever we work and get in production, roll it out, logistically get it to every single medical centre, train the staff, and do the whole vaccination process. Now, that full roll-up of sweeping generation first letter, second letter, you missed it, you got this one, here's a letter, here's an email, here's a text, some phone calls. The logistics of that are fantastic. So these are very clever logistics, and you get to the stage where, now that we know that there's a higher risk of it going wrong, what will we do to negate that risk for those that it's at risk, that it happens to? What we'll do is we'll just use existing benefits, and we'll take an old system from 1979 that's been tried to be reformed three times previously is not fit for purpose, and we'll add two words to it. COVID-19 vaccines. That is the sum total of what this, the British government have done for those when it goes wrong. That is criminal. Sorry, Alex, I'm just hoping that I'm sort of understanding. Are you talking about the vaccine damage payments? Yes, or? the vaccine damage payment system, that is the only system that's available. It's a system that was set in 1979 and it was initial payment was £10,000 and you had to be 80% disabled and most likely to have been disabled by a vaccine. That's the criteria. It's been tried to be reformed three times. It's now at the wonderful sum of £120,000. The, the criteria to qualify is you have to be most likely to have been affected by a vaccine and you have to be medically at least 60% severely disabled. Now, if it would have been to the 80%, as was originally, I would not have qualified to claim £120,000. Yeah. Had I been in a car accident, or if I'd been knocked down by a cyclist and lost my leg, the punitive damages, the loss of earnings, never mind the trauma and the horrific life-threatening condition that I've now got for life, there's not a figure, you, t- you know, if we, if we look into the bigger world, £120,000, I think there's a couple of zeros missing. It's not about the money, it's about the fact that there's no support system. Well, the, now, the thing about it is, Alex, you know, when, when you go to a solicitor, they quantify your damages and they look at your injury, they look at the adaptation adaptations that you're going to need in your life yes. they look at your your future earnings how you you know what your loss of earnings are going to be and you know there is very few things that would come out as small a sum as a hundred and twenty thousand pounds in compensation terms yes. that is minuscule absolutely minuscule it's, it's just not fair Yes, so there's that side of it that's clearly a problem. The reality is, the figures are that in the past two years since the pandemic began, there has been 920 vaccine damage payment scheme claims submitted. Now, that's 920 people who 
their medical team feel they are more than 60% disabled and it's been caused by a vaccine. So that takes anyone that's lost a hand, because the hand's only 50%. This is the ridiculousness. That's how horrific. None of these 120 people, 920 people, have received any form of support in any way from the UK government. The previous 10-year period, there was 817 claims. So that's 1,740 roughly claims in 12 years. It's absolutely disgusting. It's not fit for purpose. They have not supported or helped to anyone. And if we want to go down the road of the vaccine damage payment scheme, I have nothing to hide with these people. I owe them absolutely no respect. I submitted my claim on the 23rd of April. It was acknowledged. I received a letter on the 2nd of June saying I had to state to th prove two things. It was most likely caused by a vaccine and I had to be more than 60% disabled. Filled in the forum, which is quite a weirdly forum. Confirmed by my haematology team, by the vascular surgeons on my medical roads. All sent off all the evidence. I received a letter on the 2nd of June, as I say, stating that because it was now a vaccine, it may take some time to process a claim. There's no doubt I've submitted, proved enough. Lawyers, doctors will all confirm that. So from the 2nd of June to, I want to say, sort of, I waited to July, second week in July, phoned the only number that was available, which is an answer machine, and I phoned that number and left my name, my address, why I was phoning, I received a letter dated the 2nd of June saying it may take some time, could I have an explanation of some time? I phoned that every week for four months and never received a single response, reply or anything. Spoke to my MSP, who very kindly got on board, sent a letter off, they ignored her. She sent a second letter off, they ignored her. And in the 1st of November, I got a letter, as we all did, saying that the DWP, who was dealing with the vaccine damage plane claim system, was transferring the full system to the National Health Service Business Service Authority and we would be updated in due course. I phoned in December, was informed that my medical records were being submitted and all claims would be processed with a targeted timescale of six months. The, I want to say the 24th of February, something thereabouts, to speak to an advisor to see how far we are, was advised that my Medical records still hadn't been requested. I very politely requested a manager call back. This was on a Friday because I, I want to know why someone's told me one thing. Now you're telling me another. I'm, you know, we're not getting anywhere. Didn't get receive a manager call back. I took to social media, Twitter, made a massive complaint, copied them in, and lo and behold, they responded via Twitter. Oh, yeah. I was promised a manager's call back on a Monday. Which I did do. Oh. She promised me she would do certain actions and was... send me an email within an hour confirming what action she would take. She did that. She said she would get back to me by the Friday. On the Friday, I received an email, as did my MSP, saying that she would give them an answer by the 11th of March. Comes the 11th of March, no, no, no response. iPhones again, still no response. Took to social media again, Twitter. 
they responded. And lo and behold, I got this manager to call me. And she, she, started, she, she asked me a couple of questions that are not relevant. And I said to her, she, said, she asked me another question. I said, why are you asking me that question when you already know that part of your policy guidelines is that you already have that information? Because I don't trust anyone anymore because you've lied to me. Mm-hmm. I took, it took me nine months to receive any financial assistance in any way. You've been through the worst experience of your life. You're traumatised by it on some level, and I don't care what anybody says. If you lose, you know, a good portion of your leg, you are going to be traumatised by that. It's such a huge life adjustment. And to then have a system and being able to assist you. The other thing I'm, I'm wondering about it all, Alex, is did anybody explain to you when you went for this vaccine that you would only be eligible for seeing damage payment of 120,000. No, nobody told me. Nobody tells you nothing. Yeah. So what we say and health-wise, I can only speak, I can only uh, sort of go on my experience. Health-wise, the National Health Service, I cannot fault them. They've been fantastic. Everything that they've done for me has been done with love and care and professionalism. Apart from giving you a vaccine that they knew was dangerous. Well, that's a, we can argue that one because most of the people that are given vaccines aren't qualified to actually give vaccines. They're given a day's training to yeah. give a vaccine. Well, that's pretty. I mean, yeah. I, I think you're being off. I think you're being awfully nice to the National Health Service. I think that. The way oh, that... listen, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's perfect because I know that I, my experience with the, the National Health Service is a far different vast experience from the majority of people I speak to. I have people that I speak to who have had to go private and spend thousands mm. of pounds to be dying. But what I'm saying is if, if the NHS had been behaving itself with the sort of care that it's supposed to, you wouldn't have been in hospital having your leg amputated. Well, so. you can go all the way up to the top. If the UK Health Regulation Authority uh, Board of Directors wasn't 90% of people, professors, <laughs> professors whose whole career has been sponsored and paid for by a pharmaceutical company, yeah. how can that possibly not be a conflict of interest? I know. You know, that's if we start at the top, I don't believe in one from the bottom up. Because the one at the bottoms are only doing what they're told, to a certain extent. Mm. It's the people that know trials, they knew there was a clot an issue with it. I'm not saying anything that's not fact. No. The reason being that the same data that they supplied to the UK government, health regulations, regulatory body, and the FDA was the exact same data. Mm-hmm. The FDA said that the data was out of date incorrect and incomplete and refused its license for emergency use in america that's why there's no astrazeneca issues in the usa now the same data was submitted to the same uh, the government of uh, uk health regulated we passed it Mm. they knew there was issues and it goes deeper it was not pushed out in the uk first we remember it went to finland norway germany berlin a couple other places yeah the Norwegian Health Regulation Health Agency sent an email round all the health agencies around the world 
in the first week of February saying they had between 13 and 16 cases with these symptoms which we now have been classified as VIT. Mm. That, that wasn't released to April from the UK government. Yeah. And on the 25th of March, AstraZeneca discreetly changed its name to Vaxervert or Covishield, slowly withdrawn, very rarely used in the UK, and 1.7 billion doses have been sent to 170 poorer countries. That frightened the life out of me. Yeah. Our medical service is among the best in the world, and they struggled with this. Yeah, I mean, it's so unethical. It's ridiculous. I will go further and say that power and greed should never sit in the same room. History has shown so many times, when will we ever learn that if you have people that are greedy for money and power, they will do anything to achieve it? Yeah. Now, Pfizer... That's the people can fight that. I fight with Pfizer. My fight is, is particularly with AstraZeneca. I've contacted AstraZeneca. Numerous of his VIT cases have uh, correspondence, and they initially began being polite, saying, We're sorry to hear about you, we want to help you as much as we can. Well, we're not accepting liability. Um, they then went straight to, We want access to your full medical history and your family's medical history. Now, when it was pointed out to AstraZeneca, why would you need that information? Because you already have all the information that you already require about me as per the policy and the contract that you signed by the British government, that you would be notified of any adverse events of the details. So why are you asking me for that information? And every year has been deleted. I don't know how they did it. I can give you at least 10 names of people who were dealing with AstraZeneca and have had them the same emails deleted. Yeah. The thing is, AstraZeneca knew fine well that their vaccine was going to cause blood clots because, and I know that, because I knew it was going to cause blood clots in October 2020. Now, if I knew it, then they definitely knew it. Exactly. So there's an issue there that you have to look at the whole timeline. Now, I can't turn around and say it's criminal, because I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a judge, but what I can say is that morally, it looks really bad. Ethically, it stinks to high hell. While mm. it may be legal, but that's because you've influenced the legal side of it. Mm. You know, the, 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 the real kicker is that the indemnity that was given to the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And the government said, we, the UK government said, we will give you, we will take the liability. But what they don't tell you is that because you can't sue, you can't take a civil case against, sue the pharmaceutical companies, to, you can't get legal aid to raise a civil case against the government mm. or the pharmaceutical company. That's a private action. Now, if anyone's watched the whole uh, Purdue Sackler, situation in America with the, the whole misuse of drugs and the pharmaceutical companies and what they did, I'm living that again. I'm reliving that whole, look at what these people are doing and they're getting away with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've <coughs> sewn it up every which way, haven't they? Yeah. Well, they, they think they have. But the details in the small print. Yeah. As I say, start at the top, find out who are the people that regulate this thing, 
find out what their connections are, who they're connected to, and the web goes bigger and bigger and bigger. The fact that these pharmaceutical companies have that much power within any health regulations authority anywhere in the world is wrong and has to change. Yeah. It's got to change. The society has to change and accept. I'm not going away. No. I ain't going anywhere. Neither am I. Um, I will vocally. Um, I'm very aware how potent an image I am. Yeah. I'm very aware how horrific the cold facts of my story are, never mind when you put the emotions in over. Mm-hmm. I do try and be very calm and collective when I speak about it. But I'm now receiving psychological support. Of course. Can I ask you, Sorry? can I ask, say after you had obviously, you had your vaccine damage and obviously it was quite easily, it quite quickly identified that the vaccine had been the cause of it. Was it? Yeah. yeah. Um, do you know, did Hermeyer's hospital get in touch with the clinic who had delivered your vaccine to tell them? I, not to my, I, no, I do know that the, the, the vascular surgeon amputated me and put everything onto the yellow card. Uh-huh. That I do. Because this is... Me, I put this to the UK's yellow card system. Uh-huh. Um, now, I'm lucky in the sense that it was very early on, highly suspected. It was confirmed the day that I was discharged from hospital. It was in my notes that this was vaccine confirmed as related to the vaccine. Since then, I've now got the paperwork from haematology, from vascular, from... It's on my medical notes, it's on all my... I get my prescriptions monthly now. I've got a chemist here if you want to ever buy drugs. I've got millions of them. It's all on that. And and obviously, VIT was vaccine... Yeah. What's this vaccine, VIT? It's vaccine-induced thrombiotic thrombothenia. Yeah. What that means is that the vaccine has caused, in English layman's terms, caused my platelets to drop, yeah. my D-dimer to go through the roof, clots to form, and one other thing is that my negative PF4 antibody has became positive. That is all the fitness. Okay. My effect is all slightly different. Mm-hmm. In my case, ribs, clots in the leg and amputations. Um, We've all got similar symptoms of appetite loss, fatigue, brain fog, um, tinnitus, vertigo. These are all the common traits, but the the fit condition, that's the three main characters of this sort of a explaining it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So but the point uh, the point that I was just trying to get at is that having identified that you had been damaged by a vaccine delivered at that clinic from a batch nobody attempted to inform the clinic so that they could get in touch with other people who'd received the same batch? They may have done, to mm-hmm. my knowledge. It's not something to be honest with I've um, tried Because I've tried to report to Public Health Scotland a bad batch of vaccine because I knew that somebody had been damaged by one and they didn't even have a mechanism to do it. They so, don't. No, um, no. They don't have a mechanism... For anything, and actually, what you're saying—I mean, what you're saying about not having been informed uh, about the payment scheme or being told about the risks of the vaccine—that means your vaccination was not legal. 
Is that not right, Sylvia? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say it would be arguable that you had not given informed consent. Yes. Um, Which means that you were assaulted. There's lots of various um, sort of illegal angles being looked at um, because there's, there's a criminal possibility because we can pr if we can prove that they knew that it was causing clots, you know, it's all right saying what we know. It's, if we can prove it, it becomes a criminal case against the AstraZeneca people and it's against anyone within government who has been actively promoting something when they knew it was, wasn't what it was. So that's a criminal case. There's a private case on the regards to the whole farcical situation that my timeline review from the 20th of the April to the 28th of February is the sum total of two letters being sent to me that I was sent to everyone saying your business has been transferred and we will speak to you shortly. That is a shocking indictment of, so is it gathered dust for a, a year? Yeah. Are they just hoping I die? You know, these are all the things, so you've got to look at that side of it. So I can't do anything about that until such times as a decision has been made. Once a decision has been made, whether it's yes, you have a claim or you don't have a claim, that I'm legally looking at a judicial review. Okay. That then becomes into punitive damages, which is more in line, and also the fact that I never want any single human being, never mind another 919 families going through what I'm going through. Mm -hmm. it's I wrong. mean, that's, it's the, that's the thing, though. You know, we can have legal processes, and I would argue that actually the government has managed with their... Um, taking on liability or taking liability from the vaccine companies, they have actually stopped some of those legal processes. But yes. the reality is that none of those processes are ever enough compared to what you've been through. No, you're right. They never There's... truly compensate you for what you've happened, what There's... has happened to you. There's no amount of money is ever going to change what's happened to me. Nothing's ever going to bring that back. There's no amount of money that's going to make my life back the way it was. This is not about money. This is about justice. Yeah. And justice for me is punitive, which is the people responsible. It's their pockets that should come out of, and it's them that should do criminal time. And that maybe send a message, because if we go through the history of pharmaceutical companies, I find that these people are paying. So they don't care, they're not learning. So hit them where it hurts. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because clearly giving them big fines doesn't work. Because they're a business, they just take it out of the business. So take it out of the, the directors. They're making profit out of what they charge our NHS anyway. Yes. You know? So when they increase the money to take account of the fines and things, actually, it's public funds that's paying for all that. Yeah. It's so circular. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know... That's the whole farcical thing is we've got people saying, oh, we need to investigate and make sure they're fine and all the rest. And like, hold on a wee minute. See if you investigate the, the whole uh, PPI or the PPE scam, the, 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 the money in to track and trace, and we're talking billions upon billions upon billions. You're not investigating me to my fucking childhood for £120,000 because I lost my life because you criminally did something you shouldn't have done. 
you know, you can go down that whole argument, get angry and get upset, and you do. But until such times as these people sit in front of you, I'm going to have to keep doing what I do. Yeah. And that's continue. Harass them, call them out. I'm going nowhere. I've got nothing left to do in my life. My mission in life is to get justice. I'll either die getting that justice or I won't. Mm. The, the thing and is, <clears throat> the thing is, what in reality needs to happen as well is you. I mean, you're saying that the blame lies with the companies, and of course it does. Um, and the government. And the yeah. government for you know for just the criminal negligence, in my opinion, uh, in getting to this situation. But at the end of the day, this wouldn't happen if medical staff. And it's not all just wee girls from Primark who they got to deliver oh, yeah, these vaccines. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if yeah, they didn't the deliver the vaccine. So they, you know, they, people, I mean, the guy who was going to vaccinate me when I turned up to my clinic, my vaccination appointment, was a consultant physician. And he was about to vaccinate me, having not achieved the requirements for informed consent at all. He asked me if I was pregnant. He asked me if I'd had COVID. He asked me if I'd had COVID in the previous four weeks. And then he said to me, oh, I can tell that you're going to give consent because you're smiling. And I was like, no, I'm not going to give consent, actually. But I really was quite, I found it quite chilling that a consultant physician would be that flippant about the sacred process of getting informed consent from somebody. I, now, I, I think that... Yeah, I think we have to look at the whole thing. Yeah, because they all just... Yeah, they all just... The COVID inquiry needs to really, really be in-depth and see if it takes two years to do it right. I don't care. Let's just do it right. And do you and think... Make, it, we'll never do this again. Do you think it will be done right? No, because <laughs> here we are, what, less than 60 years after the, the whole thalidomide scandal. Yeah. That was in the same deal. That was worldwide. And it was one, well, the only difference was that was one company. We didn't learn from that license. No. You know, they lied. It was probed that they lied. Why are we not learning the lessons in history? Go into yeah. Google and put Spackler and Purdue. We've known all the issues of them. And funny enough, polio, chickenpox, mumps, rubella can all disappear when the chickenpox all went. We can't give people these vaccines. Covid get coming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we kept getting people these vaccines, and fun off. Lots and lots of people with vaccines kept getting Covid. Well, it's yeah. a matter of public record. Sylvia said on our very first podcast that would happen and that because was in January, a year ago. January twenty twenty one, and well, this is my point. I cannot accept. I really can't accept that any doctor was incapable of knowing what we knew because we're not doctors and we knew this. We had access yeah. to this information and that it was obvious from January 2021. Do you know how I knew that the vaccine didn't work and everything that I'd heard was right in the previous three months was I looked at the Israel data from the Israeli government's own website and what happened was when they vaccinated people, their level, their COVID numbers went through the roof. And I thought, 
That is not a coincidence. That's because this vaccine doesn't work and therefore any injury from this vaccine is unforgivable because there's no benefit from the vaccine. And that has just been shown time and time again. So if this vaccine worked, but some people had terrible injuries from it, there would be an unacceptable, I would argue, but a sort of logically valid debate yes. about whether, you yeah. know, whether the vaccine was okay to use or not. But there is no benefit to vaccination. We now have 90% of people who've been, who are dying of COVID are fully vaccinated. Well, the, so, the, the, the simple facts state from a proposal, there was a study done very early October, November, and this is all stuff we're only finding out by a doctor called Tess White, you'll know who I'm talking about. Tess White was a doctor, uh, she was using a, a ivermectin, did a study on it, published the report, got it peer-reviewed, put it to the government that it showed it was 89% effective and yeah. it was used properly as a protocol against COVID. But so at that point, Tess... all these pharmaceutical companies had invested billions um, and billions. Yeah. That's not what they wanted to know. So I think that's Tess Laurie. Yeah, Tess yeah, Laurie. I, 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 she lost her career, everything for the last two years, and everything that that lady has now argued has proven to be right. Yeah. You've got to start to ask the questions. Hold on a minute, right? Let's start to look at doctors that were shut down, careers ruined. I spoke to one in a Zoom call in America at four o'clock the other morning. I was on a conference call. Unfortunately, it's two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning here, it's eight o'clock at night in Chicago. Um, and a, a doctor who had no knowledge of it, and I was on the call for a couple of reasons. There was 50 people on it, and these three doctors were just couldn't believe what I was telling them. You know, was, what is this? We've never heard of this. And I said, this shows you how far it goes that when there's a recognised, classified condition, other health agencies are not picking up on it. That's the worry for me right now. I, we need to stop these and we need to start, stop, start healing the people that's damaged. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, there's people in the NHS and, and within medical professions really had to have a right good look at themselves, quite a lot of them, particularly the ones that have gaslighted patients when they clearly know there's something going on and it doesn't suit the narrative for them to change it. I salute and take my hat off to the ones that are standing up and saying, Aye. I'm not doing that. Or we've got... I mean, mm -hmm. I don't understand why doctors have become wedded to any narrative that's just not science i don't I, understand you, this i i know what it is i give you my thoughts on it for, 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 for what it's worth i think that the education the way we educate our children now is about we train them to be qualified clever but we don't train them to be educated clever yeah. that's a totally different thing yeah. That's a totally different thing, you know. I can you can train someone and give them all the qualifications in the world, but if you don't give them the proper way of using it, you know, to, to right, you need to think outside the box. Yeah, we need we need more critical <coughs> thinkers, and we need more doctors to actually take personal responsibility. There's too much of. We're in a big machine and somebody else's job yeah. is to make sure that this is safe or this, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and then it filters down to me and I just say yes, because this is the party line. 
That's yeah. not acceptable. No, it's no, not. but that's that's the education that we've pushed for the last thirty years, and we're now reading the price for it. I think you it's know. also there's also been like the public generally has been manipulated so and I, i'm i'm the same so i used to be somebody who w was very anti anti-vaxxers for example and so when what, what happened i can tell you locally here is that when i started saying quite publicly as publicly as i could and i was saying it publicly deliberately this vaccine is not safe don't get these vaccines. I, I mean, I was begging people. I was on my hands and knees begging them not to take it. And it, immediately people's knee-jerk reaction is, she's an anti-vaxxer. And we've been trained not to listen to anti-vaxxers, to ridicule them, dismiss them. And so everybody was just like, oh, shut up. You're just an anti-vaxxer. I'm not listening to you. Instead of... You're smeared. You're smeared. That's the whole purpose of any oh, yeah. label. Yeah. Just, and you know... Again, you, Alex, your injuries don't suit the narrative. No. Oh, you're anti-vax. Let's smear you. Let's shut you down. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pretend that it's not in the public interest to hear what Alex Mitchell has to say, who lost his leg from this vaccine. I mean, it's yeah, absolutely uh, unhinged. Yeah, it's a strange narrative because, obviously, I think you're aware that I've been kind of very vocal on Twitter particularly. Um, Sorry, my microwave's just going on, you'll hear a ding, I do apologise. That's apologize. okay, that's oh, alright. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, where was I? Um, um, you're talking about having your presence on Twitter. Yes, um, I've been very vocal about trying to sort of a push the story to raise awareness. There, was, there is people like me out here, this has happened to us, we're not getting any help, this is what we're arguing is at the moment. Help us first, stop hurting other people. And mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact, I put a tweet out in December that went global. It had over 2 million views. My I went from sort of a 400 followers to 7,500 in two days. It was insane. Yeah. And it was just going all over the world. And people were contacting politicians, cabinet ministers, senators, media stations, big journalists, big reporters, all of them. How many contacted me? None. None. Not one. Now, I have called out every single cabinet minister, every single conservative MP, every single media station, every single reporter, and I've said the exact same thing. What is your problem by telling the truth? Yeah. Well, and they'll be called anti-vaxxers. Well, it's coming round now. I know. Because these people are now wanting... They're now coming out of the woodwork. Uh, the Daily Record on the, sun, the, uh, the Sunday, the, the Sun, sorry, making a, a furtive sort of approach. The answer to them is no. Um, you're not the media that I want. Because you're not going to tell the story I want to tell. Mm. I want to tell the truth. I get bitten for the Sunday Post. I did a very early, uh, late April. Um... Sunday Post contacted me to an article and at that time, yeah, when I was told there was one in a million, because that's what it was, the numbers were that rare, nobody knew anything about it, and they portrayed it as if I was pushing, saying everyone should get the vaccine, don't let me... No, what I said, what I said, and I said it all the time, is do your own research. 
find out for yourself. I'll defend you. Whatever your decision is. But do your own research. And that's the argument. And that's how since then, I've always been very guarded, as you've probably aware, through the initial couple of contacts. Yeah. Um, because I'm not... If you want to twist my story, I'm, you're not a person I want to speak to. I want to speak to somebody that's going to tell my story, which is, I've been wrong. There's many who like me. We've had no support, no acknowledgement. Our government has abandoned us. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about with the vaccine issues once. Let's stop the vaccines. Let's get the inquiry, get it done right, and let's get it sorted. Society should never ever go through this again. No. Ever. No. Oh. And you know, even if a, a vaccine does confer benefits to some people, and I'm not saying whether this vaccine does. Yeah. But. The idea that some people will be collateral damage in that and will be very badly injured, personally, it, it, I don't yeah. find that acceptable. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. That's the, 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 no, the, what was the figures that came out, the figures came out yesterday that wanted to say something to you about, and it's absolutely damning. But, yeah, that's it. That these vaccines caused more damage and injuries mm. and deaths than every vaccine in the last 20 years combined. Mm. Is that not enough to tell us stop? No, it's not enough because now they want to vaccinate our children. Well, it's not just and they I, want to, they are vaccinating well, our babies, I, I, our 5 to 11 year old babies. The only comments I will make on that is parents ask three questions. One, is there safety data that's independently been verified? Two, will your company fully support my child for the rest of its life should anything go wrong? Three, what is the government put in place to protect my child should this go wrong for life? And if the answer's no to any of them, you'll need to consider your que- what you're going to do. The answer, unfortunately, to all three of them is no. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is no safety data that's verified independently. The pharmaceutical company ain't going to support you and your government ain't going to support you because they're still not supporting people like me. And this, the scary thing for me, <coughs> Alex, is that I think if you ask a lot of the vaccinators those questions, they won't actually give you honest responses anyway. No. Um, well, they can't give you honest responses. unless they Because they not. won't know. They don't they, know. Yeah, or they don't know. You know, if they don't know that information, it's a case of, well, this is my child's life go and find me something that can give me the information and see when you can until you give me that information you ain't vaccinated my child and I've never been anti-government I've never thought myself as a rebel I've just thought myself as Alec the Mod uh, I was always known as Alec the Mod and I was quite happy to fade into that media audiences being known remember that guy Alec always a Mod <laughs> I was quite happy to do that and fade away. I was in a band, played my bit, done my bit of fame, had enjoyed it, stepped back and was living my life. They took that away from me. And it's not acceptable. Oh, you've done two things. They've pissed me off. They've pissed off a a Scottish scaffolder. They've got no idea what's coming. They really don't, because I have got nothing else to do with my days. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's not, it's, um, no, I'm going to laugh about it because, yeah. believe me, I've said it many times, go into some of my, go into my, some of my, what I call my son and my brutal, you know, I will spend the rest of my days haunting them. And see when I die, 
I'm going to spend it in my fucking turning on them as well. I'll never forgive these people for getting But do you know what, Alex? A lot, a lot of these people, I'm really sorry to say this, they're not going to be able to forgive themselves because the person who injected this into your arm is... I'm, might yeah. they might be a might be a very nice person I don't know but they've done a terrible thing and you know they shouldn't have done it and you know medical professionals are going to have to take responsibility and that surgeon that you're um speaking about he probably didn't do any vaccinations but he is now having to fix you know the damage done by his colleagues yeah. I mean it's just crazy uh, and now you've got that you know, vaccine damaged people taking up space in the hospital. People who actually have COVID can't get in. It, it goes so much further, you know. Um, now, the people at the very top, now, people like the haematology people, these guys are professors, as I say, they, they sit in labs in obscurity. Nobody ever knows who they are. They may read about these obscure people who does this wonderful science chemicals thing with, with the papers they're published uh-huh. these people are quite happy they get thrown in right into the limelight they were thrown into the worst shitstorm you could ever imagine yeah. dealing with something that they'd never seen before didn't know because this, this is the thing about what the, the, the vaccine is doing it's doing things with clots that they, that's how they know it's to do with the vaccine the clots are different uh huh they form different, they look different, mm-hmm. they do different things. These people are now, some of these people are, are actually receiving psychological support Aye. because of some of the people that are trying to help, people like me. Mm-hmm. Now, that pains me. And I know it sounds terrible, it sounds strange, but it pains me because that's not it. They're, these are the guys that saved me. That, it wasn't the vascular surgeon that saved me. It was the haematology people. Yeah. They're the people that came up with the workaround and said, give them this. And do you know what the saving gave? No, what they gave me? Steroids. Steroids. That's, that was the difference. Normally they, they would have given me heparin. And un- oh, yeah. I now know an overload of heparin would have killed me. Mm-hmm. So you were you were saying to me yesterday that you wanted to tell me a bit about that because you thought it was quite interesting, the heparin thing. Yes, right. So the the heparin, what hits is very uh, is very similar to uh, another condition called hits. Okay. I mean, I don't know what what it is. I don't know the full, but it, it means <laughs> similar. It causes the 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 body to cause blood uh, to drop and clots to form okay um what the the they would do in that case is that the pf4 which is a negative antibody gets eaten up by the platelets eaten getting eaten up to try and form clots so they give you heparin which is a pf4 plus based okay chemical and that brings your pf4 back up to 96 97 percent negative that's where it should be okay However, heparin's are plus based, the PF4 becomes positive in VIC cases. So effectively, you're putting petrol onto a fire because you're giving a positive onto what's already wanting to clot. Okay. And it took them a while to figure that out. And obviously, the initial was do not give anyone heparin, do not go near heparin. And on the conference call, 
there's a couple of questions. One of them was, should I be wearing, or should all of it be wearing some kind of ID badge because we're PF4 is actually positive and not negative? And they said, no, 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 you don't need to now because they found that it wasn't the, the heparin that was the problem. It was how the dosage and how it was administered. And they're now actually able to use heparin. Should that happen to me, I'll be treat, I, I would be okay. Okay. Whereas previously, if they tried to give me blood, I'll die straight away. So that's a bit of a comfort that they've learned that much so far. Yeah. You know, um, my condition hasn't changed. The PF4 is still 100% positive. Hasn't changed in the last six, seven months. So in my case, it's unlikely to ever change unless they learn so much more. Um, I'm not worried about that because the the, the, the aspirin and the, the rivaloxabin, that's obviously keeping my blood thin enough to make sure it doesn't clot. Uh, other conditions that come from it, you know, I think the eye, I've got a scan, we'll wait and see what that is. I'm hoping that there's nothing. She kind of said she didn't see anything, but you always worry, don't you? Yeah. 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 Um, that's... Are you are you getting legal help with this now, Alex? Um, I'm receiving. Yes, I I have a I'm with a, a legal team that is doing a bit case. It's raising a class action against the government on the bit cases alone at the moment because that is a condition that's been classified and confirmed right. solely caused by the vaccine. So we've got there's a. There's no debate with that one to, to a certain extent. Right. Um, so that's going, there's a criminal case getting pushed. There's a personal case with regards to possible judicial review and the uh, absolute disaster of a process that is the vaccine damage payment system. Um, there's another one going, but that's kind of very early and that's, I don't think that one's going to work out. <laughs> but... I could see where someone was going with it, but morally, I'm not comfortable going down that argument. Okay. So, yeah. if anybody was listening to this and they identify with your story, um, is is there somebody they could get in touch with to, to join those actions? Or, you know, um, get in touch yes. with you on Twitter? Or what, yeah. what? If someone believes that... Or, well, the thing is, that has been, we have been, uh, there's 438 of us, I say, 78 of them fatalities, the 360 of us have been looked after uh, by Thrombosis UK, which can is a charity. They're giving psychological support. Can you uh, give us those numbers again? Are those, what are they UK wide? Yes, the, the, the numbers I quote are UK, the 438 okay. are solely UK, that's... There is other vets in New Zealand. There's some in the, quite a few, a lot in Australia. There's a couple in Canada. Um, we're trying to, as we get around the world, to a certain extent, we're finding people that are coming across that were classified as vet, but didn't want to kick up and just feel as if they didn't have an argument and now realise mm -hmm. that they're not alone. Uh -huh. So 438 in the UK with vets, that's people in this class action? Uh, yes, there, well, there's 438 vets, of which there is 
78 fatalities. Um, there's representatives of those families uh, will be with. Uh, there's a couple of lawyers for them that were, I don't know if they're still taking the case. One was PHJ Law, um, oh, yeah. and the other one was a lawyer called Peter Todd. Okay. Uh, very, but if anyone feels that they need, they want to, I'm quite happy if they want to reach out through uh, Twitter. You'll probably better get me on. Um, I'm on there more often than I'm on anywhere else. I'm quite happy, as I say, I answer, I do my best to answer as many questions as I can because okay. I believe that if you, if I want to push my story out there, you're entitled to ask questions. Okay. And I don't mind the, the hard questions. It's when they're asked rudely, I can't upset. <laughs> yeah. Do you I, I feel, Alex, that you've been through enough that, that people should at least be respectful. Um, well, we could all say, but unfortunately in today's society, uh, keyboard warrior seems to be a very common thing. Um, what I'll say is that in December, the, the volume of use was probably about 30-70%, so 70% positive. In February, March, the beginning of March, I would say it was 50-50. Now I would say it's 70% supporters and, and maybe the odd 10% that give you abuse. But that's just horrifying that it's even that number. I mean, that's just, it's just disgusting. It really is. Yeah. Um, what I say is, I'm a big boy. I can take it. I can give it out. Don't think I'm going to sit here and take your crap. No. I owe you nothing. You know. <coughs> I mean, you shouldn't have to. That's you know. That's the thing that. No, I shouldn't have to. But if I do it, it means that other people might feel a wee bit more comfortable coming forward. Yeah. You know, mm. I'm quite. What people don't realise is that in the background, there is a lot of people who are just struggling just to survive a day and don't even have the strength that this is how I'm feeling mm. because they get the abuse that they get. Now, I speak to a couple of people in the background and on social media. Nobody knows what's wrong with them. But I do. Don't come out in public place because they've seen some of what I've been treated. And I say to them, well, don't you get involved. You deal with what you need to deal with. You make you fit. You concentrate and you're fine. Yeah. I'm big and I'd love to deal with what's going on out there. Let me take them on. What's comes to the worst? You block them? Yeah. You know, um, it, it's, unfortunately, it's a sign of today's society. Um, irrespective of what you do, if you put yourself above like, any part of it, there's always someone who wants to take a pot shot at you. Yeah. And that's fair enough. And don't go upset with me when I take the pot shot back. And my boy's bigger than yours. <laughs> Um, and the other thing that I wondered about with you, Alex, is just, do you know, have you got, have you, like, formed a community of people who've been vaccine injured or...? Yeah, there's, um, well, there's several sites out there, there's, uh, rare, it's not so rare, no more silence, COVID vaccine injuries, there's mm -hmm. quite a few groups, there's a VIC group, um, I tend to sort of, as I say, don't include anyone in any particular group. If people say to me their vaccine damage injured, I'm not here to dispute them. If you tell me they're injured, 
I'll give them the support and the, you know that I can and the help that I can because mm-hmm. the more people that feel as if they're able to come forward and get supported and get a better listen, they're not the only one. I say that quite a lot. Nobody's you're never alone. Mm-hmm. Don't ever feel we've lost three people in the last two months. They couldn't take it anymore. I don't what? want a fourth, I don't want a fifth, I don't want a sixth. What do you mean when you say that? Um, well, in the last two months, we've had two people who had, we call them long haulers, they've had, they've had long COVID. Um, they fight medically, uh-huh. socially. Mm-hmm. And anyway, um, they couldn't take it anymore. Uh, one was last the last 14 days. Um, had enough of the abuse between the pain and the suffering, the trauma and the abuse. You know, this is people we're talking about. And that's somebody Some with people. long COVID? Yeah, two people with long COVID and someone else who had a really bad reaction to a, to a vaccine that just felt as if you couldn't take it anymore. Now, I'm not going to sit here and judge these people because I know where they are. Yeah. And it's very, very hard to constantly lift yourself when you read comment after comment sometimes. You know, I'm a different type of character. My attitude is, oh, you want to have a go with me? You really want to have a go with me? Stand in front of me. Put your face on. Yeah. Give me your right name. I'm not hard to find. My no. name is there. Yeah. My picture is there. I'm not hiding for you, so why are you hiding for me and giving me abuse? You know, come to me as yourself and ask me the question. You most likely get the answer. Come at me with a faceless warrior attitude, you know, that, how did that work out for you? On comments. I've got a very black sense of humour and I take most things with a, a dark sense of humour, you know. I'll, I'll give you an idea. I phoned my mate from hospital. This is four hours after being amputated and asked him which side shoe was. Because mm-hmm. I had a few pairs of shoes going. You know, you've got to laugh and joke at these things. <laughs> But there's a difference between humour and nastiness. Yeah. You know, I can say the most black thing in the world and find it the most hilarious thing in the world. You might not, because I've got quite a black sense of humour. And I'm aware of that, but even my black sense of humour sometimes looks at some of the comments in one season and goes, what do you think? Do you think there's a machine at the other end of that that's just read that? Mm. You know? Yeah, and the thing about these things is, when when you're dealing with what you're dealing with, you have good days and bad days anyway. I had that good a day yesterday that I, I didn't remember falling out the trail. Oh dear. I meant to tell you that. I, who was on the phone? Who was speaking to me yesterday? Was it you, Sylvia? It was no, it's Christine. Yeah. Um, well, I was standing at the window because that's a better signal. Uh-huh. And you'd think after a year I would remember that I don't have a, a left leg. You would think, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, no, don't really take a step of life like it wasn't there. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It comes and it goes. So yesterday, yeah, I couldn't figure out why it was so sore. And my wife was, was sitting there and she said, Still, my muscle, my amputation leg's killing me. I don't know what I've done. She said, You fell yesterday. I didn't even remember falling. I have a secret belief. I think she leathered me during the night in my sleep. 
Alex. Behave yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, she doesn't need an excuse to attack you to be fair. <laughs> oh, I love her more than I love life, and I say that genuinely. Um, Is she much? She makes me like nobody else on this planet needs my love. Oh. She's been through a terrible ordeal as well. Absolutely horrific. Um, said that to, to both Michelle and my two daughters. I can't begin to understand the trauma and experience she went through because I wasn't there. I didn't go through that experience. It was different for me. I knew I was in a room fighting for my life. Yeah. It's different for you, didn't know anything. Um, and yeah, my daughters have been absolutely fantastic. They had to grow up very quickly, both of them. Not that they were immature, but no. you can understand what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, they're young adults now. My daughter, she's 25, and the difference in a, a girl in two years. In a, in a positive way, because of what she's had to, to do, she's had to, she's had to deal with COVID. Um, she's a qualified psychologist, and even she struggled to cope with us. Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, you reckon that she went into psychology to try and figure her father out? <laughs> I don't think she's done it yet. No. <laughs> um, no, they went through a horrific time, and this is part of the passion and the fight and the drive that keeps me going. This is not for me. This is not about me. This is to try and make it right. Yeah. Now, I've lost everything I'll ever earn for the rest of my days. How do I go and how do I provide for my family? How do I protect them? The only way I know is to fight to get them yeah. protection and security that I can't give them right now. Mm. By fighting for the justice that it's not just mine. You know, it's the right of everyone who's been damaged by these things, irrespective of how long. If you've been off your work for three months because you were floored with this this bloody thing, you're entitled to three months' compensation. I don't care how they do it. Take it out of the pharmaceutical companies. There's no See, this indemnity doesn't exist anymore. The indemnity was per contract. The contract is null and void because they put the wrong date in. This is how simple it is for me. Yeah. You know, um, as I said, my wife, that's the bit that gets me. I'm a big boy. Do what you like to me. I can deal with it. I think I've shown that. But don't don't fucking take out my wife and kids and it's affected them. Now you've got me angry, so now you have to deal with me. Yeah. And that's where I am. Alex, I, I think you are amazing. I think... You know, they certainly have injured their own person. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, and I think we should check in with you again um, later on and I'd get an update to. on how you're getting on with the fight. Yeah, I'd be more than happy to. Mm-hmm. Anytime. I think. Um, yeah, I think. That I, I'm, I don't think I'm any different from anyone else. I genuinely don't. I'm no different from you or anyone else in the fact that I'm just an ordinary guy who's trying to get through this shit storm of life as best as we can. Mm-hmm. I think all of that. And I, I could sit 
and greet and feel sorry for myself and get used to feel sorry for me. It's not your sympathy I want, it's not your pity I want, it's your support. It's yes. your voice, isn't it? Because the key to the whole thing is not going to be me and all the vaccine injured and all the lawyers and anybody else for that matter. It's going to be the public. Yeah. The public's the only people that's going to get this to change. And, you know, I pray, I'm praying, really, that we do get it changed because it's such an atrocity that has been played on the public. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I will say is that very shortly, um, I will be, not just me, that's a part of all, something I'm involved in, will be, how shall we say, publishing a letter that you can send to your MP. And basically the letter is calling the government to an open debate. Come and speak to us. Bring all your advisors, bring all your specialists. We'll bring ours. Let's discuss this. Let's talk about the vaccines and the damage in the system. Let's see if we can put this right. I'm calling on Boris Johnson and on Health Advisor Savvy Javid and all his ministers that he wants to bring in regards to the vaccines and vaccine damage to a table and we will come and talk to them and see if we can see if they... If they're prepared to talk to us, then maybe we can put some some confidence back into the British public. But it's the British public that's going to be the people and the people across the world saying, we need to stop this and we need to make it right. I can't do it myself. I'm just one voice screaming in fucking darkness. Mm-hmm. But thousand voices to 2,000 to 200,000 to 200 million, they've got to listen then. Yeah. Yeah. And people power. I'm not a socialist, I'm not a revolutionist, I'm just a guy trying to get through life. But it's ridiculous that I feel that I'm now at the stage where I'm having to say to the British public, you just need to make a stand, folks, because this is not going to stop if you don't. Yeah. I mean, there's strength in numbers, and, you know, that really is the strongest card that you're going to have. Um. yeah, you know, I've got all the legal people that I need. I've got all the scientific people that we need. And I do not mean me, I'm talking about the whole sort of a fight that we're trying to get together. We've got people that are very qualified, very experienced in the field. Um, people... <coughs> you know, there's people now springing up. There's a full movement springing up in America, a full movement springing up in Australia, a full movement springing up in New Zealand, a full movement springing up here. What... The world's beginning to wake up. Yeah. We that's the only we need the people behind us to make the changes. Not for us. I don't want fucking power and money. Money's not going to make me any better. Powers. We don't want power for. The only power I want is the power in my scooter. I want to get my story and get my awareness. You want to get your numbers up. I'll be honest with you, I'm being very careful who I speak to. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way, um, but I only speak to people that I think, you know what, you'll actually listen to what I'm trying to say, you'll actually try and help me, yeah. as opposed to take what I'm going to say, spin it to suit your narrative. Um, and I clearly saw that, you know, people like yourself, um, the boy Rick from the Tin Biscuit podcast and Sonia Poulton, you know, mm-hmm. they, usually people that speak to me first and see when the big story comes, guess who the first people I'm going to speak to? The first people who spoke to me, and that'd be yourself, oh. Sonia, and that boy, Rick. Good. Okay. Good. Well, we Bombs. appreciate it. We do appreciate it. And we do try to just put out people's stories as their story is. We 
we don't want to have an agenda. We just want the truth to be outed. Well, we do have an agenda yeah. in that sense. We just want people to be safe and not lied to. That's basically, <laughs> that's my agenda. Yeah, my agenda is only one thing. Yeah. Stop this madness. Yeah. And fix yeah. what the problems are. Yeah. Yeah. Because should there ever be a necessity for us to have a vaccine that we really fucking need, excuse my language, I'm, I'm swearing, okay. we really need, who's going to want to take it now? Well, well, yeah, I mean, that is a big, that was one of my, one of my concerns really early on was like, this is a really bad vaccine and it's going to destroy people's faith in medicine and vaccines. And I think that's exactly yeah. what is going to happen. I don't know how they're going to get any public health messages across in the future that people will take seriously because they've made utter fools of themselves in the last two years. The whole, oh, yeah. everything, oh. the masks, the lockdowns, keeping people alone in care homes, all of it was utter nonsense from beginning to end. Oh. And yeah, you know, that side of it alone is horrific. And yeah. Then you start to go into, you should look into a drug called Remvedesca. Oh, Remdesivir, Remdesivir. yeah. Oh, it's Lord, really geez. bad, I you know. It's that? horrendous, absolutely horrendous. And putting people on ventilators early on in the pandemic as well, it was another one. It's just, yeah. you know, it's really been a catalogue of catastrophic errors and that's how we've got here. And, you know, very few people could see it. And the few people who could see it were vilified and ridiculed yeah, and censored. Yeah, Or censored. Yeah. Or you know, I know one girl who's six other accounts shut down and all she has is ever done is put stories like mine through a fucking yeah it's, it's, but we are getting there we are getting there the voices are starting to be I keep saying the keynote coming yeah yeah the truth coming. the truth always comes out in the end that's it all the time truth will always out I've had an absolute fantastic couple of us speaking to you oh. well we've loved speaking no we like a long well, chat don't we Sylvia We could speak all night, but we can't because we've got children to feed and yes. stuff. Yes, but come first. I'm, and I'm really sorry that you've had to go through this, Alex. And I'm very inspired by your attitude. Um, thank you, but as I say, I don't see me being any different. Any other hard-working guy just trying to do his best. I might be different in the sense that my standards and beliefs that I've had since that I set out when I was 17 are still the same standards and beliefs and morals and principles that I live with. Mm -hmm. And I do mean that. I live with my principles and I'm prepared to die with them. Yep. And I've always said that. Yep. Um, and it's never more after now. But I may have to fucking die. Excuse me. I may have to actually die for them. I don't fear that. I don't. Well, I fear. That... Well, well, Behind the fear for my wife. You know, my daughters will meet someday, they'll move on. 
very good advice for our listeners very good advice <laughs> yeah well take care of yourself alex yeah lots of love to you thank you both thank you, you we'll, we will thank speak soon okay. yep thank you for listening if you have your own corona story please get in touch with us or email address once again is coronastories at protonmail.com you'll hear from us again soon